You're listening to Small Business Big Impact, how to support employees experiencing family and domestic violence. This podcast contains content which you might find distressing. If you or someone you know needs support, please call Lifeline on 13114 or 1800 RESPECT. That's 1800 737 732. Welcome back to Small Business Big Impact, a podcast about family and domestic violence created specifically for small business owners. And my name is Gretel Colleen. This is our final episode. Over the past nine episodes, we've covered the many different types of family and domestic violence, from physical to financial to psychological, how it might impact your workplace and some of the warning signs that someone is experiencing violence at home. We've talked about how to have a conversation with an employee about domestic violence, how to respond if they disclose they're experiencing it or inflicting it, and how to keep your workplace safe. And because this podcast was created to help you understand a change to legislation that gives access to paid family and domestic violence leave for all employees – We also discussed why your employees might need that leave and how you can navigate this towards an outcome that benefits your business and employee. So for our final episode, I've invited back three of our previous guests, Karen Prestige, Catherine Fitzpatrick and Mark Richards, to walk us through some case studies. I talked to them separately from their offices all over Australia and we collated their answers. Let's have a listen to the first scenario. Mohammed is 20, and ever since he started TAFE, he's been working part-time for his best friend's dad at their panel-beating business. Lately, Mohammed hasn't been his cheerful self, and he came to work last week with a black eye. Mohammed said he'd gotten black eye playing sport, but his boss has known him for a long time, and the story didn't ring true. His boss asks Mohammed to come in early for his next shift, and talks to him privately. He says he's worried about him and is there to support him if there's anything he wants to share. Mohammed opens up about violence in the home. His dad has been beating his mum and Mohammed got the black eye when he tried to defend his mother. Mohammed's boss is furious. He says, I'll help you sort this out. Let's call my cousin. He's a kickboxer. And we'll go and talk to your dad in language he'll understand. So Karen, what has the boss done right or wrong in speaking with Muhammad about this? Firstly, the boss noticed something different about Muhammad and took action, so absolutely to be commended. And he also expressed a concern and the desire to support him, which I think is wonderful. He started the conversation by asking him an open question. He asked him if there's anything he wants to share. So that gave Muhammad the opportunity to respond as he wanted to. Absolutely. It also gave him the opportunity to share as much or as little information as he wanted to. Then the boss suggested he would help sort this out. Now, is this the right or wrong way for him to behave? At that point, the conversation became about him, Mm. not about Muhammad. Right. Catherine, any thoughts? Uh, Well, I think he's really said something that's pretty human and quite a reaction, which is, well, let's go around and teach him a lesson really not the right way to do things. It doesn't help to respond to violence with violence. 
Yeah, you really can't fight fire with fire in these circumstances, and it could actually make the situation even more dangerous than what it already is. Muhammad's boss is kind of breaching Muhammad's confidentiality a little bit there as well, because obviously Muhammad has went to him and told him this, feeling that it's safe to actually do so. And I think if there were a physical act of violence towards Muhammad's father, that would cause a lot of guilt, a lot of shame, a lot of embarrassment, which in turn would probably make Muhammad's dad a lot more angry than he already is, mm. which obviously results in a lot more dangerous situation for Muhammad's family all round. And in regard to legal ramifications, obviously if Muhammad's boss does this, you know, he could be charged with assault as well. Also, it's saying we condone violence to resolve issues and, and that's not really the right thing. If we're going to end an epidemic of domestic and family violence, we don't say the way that you resolve it is through somebody else being violent. So instead of offering to give his kickboxing mate a call, what should Muhammad's boss have said and done, Catherine? What I do think is his boss is being incredibly supportive of Muhammad and uh, saying, I've got your back, I'm really concerned about you, I believe you, that's so important. But he's not an expert on domestic and family violence. He's not an expert on those complexities. So one of the best things he can do is refer Muhammad to professional expert services like 1-800-RESPECT. I'd also say respect his autonomy as well. So allow Muhammad to make decisions about his own safety and the actions that he actually wishes to take. It's really important to empower people in this sort of situation to make choices that are actually right for them and their family. And Catherine, how common is it for children to also experience violence that was originally targeting their mother? Unfortunately, it's extremely common, but it's rarely talked about. So it could be a young child who might hear something or see their mother really having protective behaviours uh, and trying to shelter them against whatever's happening in that relationship. Or it could be like this case where you've got a grown son who is really trying to protect his mother um, and intervening and then um, getting in the way of um, uh, her getting more hurt but him getting hurt himself. Mark? I hear from a lot of young people when I come into contact with them for work, etc., that they feel like they're stuck in between a rock and a hard place and the two people they actually look up to and love more than anyone else in the world. What might a child be feeling? It's, it's a real internal conflict that they have between, you know, sometimes even wanting to help mum but not wanting to get in more trouble, um, wanting to call the police on dad but not wanting dad to get in trouble. So, it's yeah, it's a real internal conflict that a lot of young people do have. What an awful situation for a young person to be in. Thank you for your perspectives. Let's move on to the next scenario. Arturo runs an award-winning small restaurant in the southwest of WA and he's employed the same chef for over 10 years. Francesca puts modern twists on her Italian grandmother's recipes and she is beloved throughout the town. Francesca moved to the town as a single mum of two sons, who are now in their early 20s. Her eldest, Matteo, works as a waiter for Arturo. Over the last month, Arturo has noticed Matteo speaking roughly to his mother. At the same time, he's also observed that Francesca has lost her spark. She's stopped socialising, is easily startled, and has started to wear long sleeves, even though they're in the height of summer. Last night, Arturo saw Matteo shove his mother as they were getting in the car to drive home. So, Mark, it's possible that Matteo, a young man in his early 20s, is using violence against his mother. 
How common is it for young adults to be violent towards their own parents? It's actually quite common. And what we've noticed, um, especially in recent years, statistically speaking, um, is an increase in that particular space. Unfortunately, it's uh, one of the risks if you grow up in a household um, where you might experience domestic and family violence, and, and we don't know if that's the scenario. So children who witness or experience domestic and family violence are at really serious risk of long-term physical and mental health, and they might be at greater risk of using violence themselves. Mark? I come across these twin brothers and they both grew up with a lot of violence in the home. Both were exposed to a lot of trauma. And as they sort of grew up, they kind of went in two different directions. So one went on to sort of play a lot of sport, had a lot of good uh, role models around him, really good circle of friends. All them people kind of encouraged him to seek therapy around all the trauma he was exposed to, which he chose to access. The other brother kind of went on a different path, which is also really common. Uh, pretty negative circle of friends, started to use a lot of drugs and alcohol as coping mechanisms in comparison to obviously the therapy that his brother sought out. Long story short, they both grew up into adults. One went on to use violence and the other one didn't. But when the question was posed to them as adults, why do you use violence and why don't you use violence? They both had the exact same answer. I've seen my father do it. Wow, that really underscores the importance of getting specialist support, doesn't it? Karen Prestige, is this a particularly difficult thing for a mum to communicate to anyone? It feels like such a taboo topic, with even more stigma and shame for the person experiencing the violence. Yes, absolutely. It can be devastating for parents to know what to do in these situations. And Francesca's alone in this situation. Certainly there'd be a strong reluctance to involve police or any other authority. She wouldn't want anything bad to happen to Matteo. So at the same time as experiencing abuse from her son, she wants to protect her son. Well, she has spent many years protecting him, hasn't she? Mm. That's what a mother does. Arturo is in a really tough situation here. Both these people are his employees, which means that they affect his business, and he's also known both of them for 10 years. He's known Matteo since he was a young boy. So this can bring home the fact that a small business is like a family. So it's a terrible situation for a family to be in, isn't it? It sure is. But I do think Arturo's got a really critical role here. First of all, he needs to divorce himself from being part of the family for a minute and say, this is my workplace. Is everyone safe and healthy in my workplace? And clearly he has witnessed an unsafe situation. So if he can take the emotion out and say, I'm not judging this, but not everyone is safe in my workplace. I need to make sure my workplace is safe. I can imagine many employers would see this as a very emotional experience, but you're suggesting, okay, let's get back to basics. Your job is to protect your staff. Absolutely. And of course, you're going to feel emotional about it. It's really hard when one of your colleagues is experiencing something like this. But as a provider of a workplace, as an employer, my first priority is obviously to my customers. My second priority is about having a safe and healthy workplace. And if my staff are not safe and healthy, they're not going to be engaged. And so I need to just pull back and say, what is what is my response there? What do I need to do? I think one of the things to remember is that we're only experts in our own life and our own fields. So it's really important that Arturo refers Matteo and Francesca to the experts. 
So you've got organisations like 1-800-RESPECT that would be able to help Francesca. You've got Men's Line that would be able to help Matteo. And that's really important because it's not my job to solve the problem if my employees are experiencing domestic and family violence either as a perpetrator or a victim survivor. It is my job to make sure that my staff are safe and healthy and my workplace is a safe workplace. We're almost out of time, but I definitely don't want to miss discussing this final scenario. So let's dive in. Pauline's graphic design company has been going great guns. She has two employees. Trevor is based in the Northern Territory, Naomi is in Adelaide, and Pauline lives in Melbourne. It's been a great success having everyone work from home in a different state. Each morning, the team has a video call and Pauline makes sure they have a social chat. They trade recipes, talk about TV shows they're watching. Pauline feels she knows her staff well. But this weekend, Pauline got a phone call from an unknown number. It was Naomi and she dropped a bombshell. Her partner, who works in IT, had not allowed her out of the house without him for over two years. He'd hidden cameras all over the house and was watching and listening to her all day long. He was following her every move. Naomi finally managed to get help during a doctor's appointment. Naomi is now living with her children in a shelter and a domestic violence service is supporting her to get an intervention order. But Naomi is terrified that if she comes back to work, her partner will be able to track her online. She is calling to resign. Pauline tells Naomi that she is a phenomenal employee and she doesn't want to lose her. And she knows that Naomi will need a wage to get back on her feet. Catherine, how big a role does technology play in domestic and family violence? Well, they call it tech-facilitated abuse, and that is where people misuse technology to stalk, threaten, harass or intimidate somebody else and to really monitor their every movement. This one is such a ghastly situation. It would be horrendous to know that your every move is being monitored Mm. and that you don't have any privacy and that is how you are being controlled. And terribly, I assume the children are also being watched. Mark, what is your perspective on the use of technology for domestic and family violence? Yeah, it plays a huge role. And I heard it pitched really well one time. And what this person said effectively was it's old behaviours, but new tools in ways to facilitate those behaviours. Karen, how would an employer begin to navigate this one? It's quite complex, isn't it? Mm. It'd be really important for Pauline to know what is within her scope as an employer. And then what should be left to a specialist DV service? We see in the scenario that Naomi's living in a shelter. Mm. She's connected to a domestic violence service. So we know that she's going to be getting specialist help. So then it's about within her own business, what can she do to further protect Naomi? And what are some of the simple things that she can do immediately, Catherine? So I guess there's two things that Pauline could do. She could speak to the people who provide her tech support for her business and ask them if there's anything that she can arrange to make sure that her staff member has a secure access to her workplace. But also she could ask Naomi whether the people that are supporting her and those experts have any tips or tricks or any steps that she needs to take to make sure that Naomi is safe online. And actually, any domestic violence service, like the one Naomi's already accessing, will connect her to something called WESNET. 
they are experts in anything to do with technology-associated safety, right. from removing tracking devices from phones to keeping digital profiles private. Wow. They can even provide phones that are untraceable to people who have experienced violence. And all these services, you can delete them quickly from your browser. That's WESNET, W-E-S-N-E-T. And you can also contact the eSafety Commissioner at eSafety.gov.au. Is there anything else that Pauline should ask Naomi? I would also make sure that you're saying, right, does he have access to your bank account? Do we need you to change your bank account? Have you logged out of that? Have you opened a new one that's safe and secure so I can pay your salary into that account as well? Karen Prestige, Mark Richards, Catherine Fitzpatrick, thank you so much for your time and your wisdom for this, our final episode of Small Business, Big Impact. And that brings us to the end of our podcast series, Small Business, Big Impact, brought to you by Lifeline for the Australian Government. Thank you. Thank you for spending this time with me. I know you don't have a lot of time, but your participation in this is crucial to its success because, as we've discussed, new legislation means that all employees, no matter what size the business, are now entitled to a total of 10 days paid leave if they're experiencing domestic or family violence. So your understanding is vital. As an employer, dealing with a staff member experiencing domestic or family violence can be daunting. But there is help available for you. As a final reminder before the end of this podcast, please do not be shy or reluctant to reach out for more advice from any of the services mentioned in your podcast app notes or to call anonymously 1-800-RESPECT. That's 1-800-737-732. Thanks for your company. I'm Gretel Colleen, signing off. This podcast has been produced for the Australian Government by Lifeline Australia. Lifeline delivers DV Alert, the nationally recognised training program for frontline workers dedicated to ending violence against women and children. We acknowledge the traditional owners of the lands on which we podcast, as well as those on which you are listening, and pay our respects to elders past, present and emerging.